Welcome to Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering. Welcome to this episode of Energy Radio. This is episode 27. On this episode, I talk with Ben Weir, who's the lead of policy research and development at the IESO. Ben, uh, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, not a problem, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a little bit since we've last spoken. I think when we talked last, you might not even remember, you were at the OPA. Uh, and I was coming in with the Biogas Association. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I do remember that. We were sitting on the 16th floor in the, the north room um, going through a bunch of financial models for different project types. Yeah, and I, I, I uh, apologies to all of your colleagues. You're the only person that I remember on the OPA side that was in the room. Um, who else was? They've probably all moved on. There was other folks as well that were... Uh, we were, we were talking kind of FIT 2.0 or FIT 3.0, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, I think it was right before the development of the, whichever iteration of FIT it was, right before the development of the, the release of the price schedule. Um, we would have had Adam Butterfield in the room, who was my manager at the time, and he's, uh, he's, he's still the same team actually doing uh, transmission procurement and ancillary services procurement now, as opposed to FIT projects. Okay. Um, I'm sure we've had a couple other people. Um, Derek Van Waller, Andrew Teresevich uh, at the time, who who moved on to other stuff. Some of them, most actually, those two guys still with the ice. So we've had some other people who have moved on to other places. So. Cool, cool. And you and you've moved around and kind of come back a bit. Talk, talk to us a little bit about where you've been since then. Uh, sure. So uh, with I was with the the OPA um, doing fit microfit and the large renewable procurement for uh, for about four years, um, almost five. Um, and then I went and did a two-year stint with the Canadian Solar Industries Association as the director of policy and reg affairs. So I was doing um, policy and reg affairs for uh, for Ontario, Saskatchewan, and then dabbling a little bit uh, in Alberta. Okay. Um, and then uh, moved over to the Ontario Ministry of Energy um, in their uh, renewables integration and distributed energy resources team. Uh, and we, for, for the most part, I was there for about two years, and we were working on... Um, the introduction of uh, changes to the net metering regulatory framework. So we were looking at and, and implementing things like third-party ownership uh, for net metering facilities, virtual net metering, um, and then the last the last bit of my time at the Ontario Ministry of Energy. Um, given the change in government, I actually spent uh, probably about six to seven months undoing all of the things that I had worked on in my career up until that point, um, <laughs> canceling canceling fit contracts uh, and uh, and revoking the net metering regulatory changes that we had made yeah. um so that was a little bit disappointing but that's you know it is what it is that's how you know, policy priorities of different governments etc um sure. and then and then move move back to the iso uh, just at the end of 2018 to join their innovation research and development uh group and and we've been doing a lot continuing a lot of the work that uh sort of that i'd had exposure to over the career that thus far um in the distributed energy resource space okay and and um before we dive too deep in, maybe um, it would be helpful if you could just explain, you know, we're using uh, ISO or we're using the acronym, but can you give us a, just a quick uh, rundown for our readers what, what the ISO is, you know, what its mandate is, and then maybe um, kind of the last thing would be your portion of that team, you use the term innovation, what is your team focused on more specifically, but maybe first start with what the ISO is. Sure. So stands for the Independent Electricity System Operator, um, and we fulfill a couple of different roles. It's, it's kind of a unique um, organization as it as system operators go. Uh, we're a little bit different from a lot of the system operators that you'll find uh, in the United States, for example. So um, the one part, the part that we do that is similar to what other um, ISOs do, or, or what are called uh, regional transmission organizations in the states, RTOs, um, is we administrate the wholesale market for electricity. Um, so we you know, bring bring resources in, whether that's registration, connection testing, and that type of stuff. And then we actually, we run the market, um, our series of markets uh, on a, you know, a day ahead timeframe through to the, through to the real time five minute dispatch type of timeframe uh, to schedule supply um, to meet whatever the forecasted demand happens to be at that time. So it'd be, it'd be fair to say you keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least a portion of the people that work at the ISO keep the lights on. Sure, sure. Um, and then we're also doing the long-term planning um, through our planning department uh, and then doing 
procurements for in, at least in the in the past and this who, who knows depending on what government um is in power at the time but um so sorry the the long the long-term planning of the of the power system kind of determining what types of resources we're going to need and where we're going to need them um, and then doing procurements uh, of those resources so we, we bring on resources in in one of two general ways one of them is via the wholesale markets and then in in the past anyway there's been a large focus on uh, doing direct procurements and contracting of resources to meet those needs and then we also administrate um, the conservation framework so the uh, um, all of the residential, small business, commercial, industrial conservation programs, for the most part, um, either are run through us um, uh, or run in conjunction with us with LBC. Right. We're big fans of those programs. That's for sure. Um, okay, cool. So that's so and, and really it's a it's kind of now a merger of, you know, there, there was a split of, you know, keeping the lights on versus future planning. That was the OPA. But this is now really one central agency that that kind of does everything for the province right uh yeah other than other than electricity distribution which is still in the hands of the local distribution companies um for, for the most well and transmission which is done by by hydro one um for, for, again for the most part there's a couple other smaller transmission companies but for, for the most part the rest of those functions are fulfilled by us so that's kind of what i meant where i said it's unique uh, in relation to us isos or rtos because we do a lot of things that are generally done by what are called load serving entities um, in the United States. And then we also, which is like the, the planning and procurement of to meet, to meet demand, et cetera. And then we also run those wholesale markets, which, which also happens in the state. I see. Okay. So that's, that's a bit unique in an Ontario context. Okay, cool. And your role within the broader ISO framework, you mentioned innovation, you got research and development uh, as part of your, like what is your team and you specifically focused on? Yeah, so the team in general is is kind of looking at one of one of two things or both things, but it depends on, on who you're talking to at the time. Um, and we're, we're looking at how we can remove barriers that the ISO has or what could be perceived as barriers from, from an outside perspective to allow um, better competition uh, within the wholesale markets. So kind of getting out of other people's way. Um, and then how we can do what we do better, um, getting either getting of our getting out of our own way might be another way to uh, to characterize that. But uh, looking at how, how we do things and what we do and how we can do those things better. So um, my my group specifically, um, we're looking at uh, the integration of distributed energy resources into the wholesale markets is the main focus. We're also running some research on um, changing consumer preferences and behaviors and how that's going to impact supply and demand over the next three to 10 years. Mm. Um, and then we have other groups that are looking at, uh, for example, the establishment of local energy and capacity markets, which currently don't exist in Ontario. Mm. Um, so, you know, having a, having a distribution level market being run to procure services um, for capacity energy and, and other types of services that the distribution level needs like voltage um, support. Um, we're looking at how we could work energy efficiency into a capacity auction, um, which has also never been done in Ontario. It exists in some places in the state. Hmm. Um, so we're, we're, it's, it's a varied uh, group of projects that we're looking at um, and various different things. But it's all kind of how do we how do we make it cheaper, faster, better to get the stuff, to get to buy the services, for example, um, that, the, that the ISO needs or that other parts of the, of the system are going to need. And at a high level, that whole initiative is presumably a response to you know, the market is changing in a bunch of ways. The technology is driving change. The information for decision makers, both at the ISO, but also at a load or a generation level is changing. You know, the market in as a general rule is getting to be more and more uh, dynamic. And so, you know, folks like yourselves are, are having to, you know, keep up or stay ahead or, you know, be part of that ever-changing environment. Is that kind of the overarching um, re impetus for what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. So you touched on uh, distributed energy resources, and that's, I think, one of the topics we want to, or the main topic we want to focus on today. Um, you know, distributed energy resources, DER is the acronym, uh, can be a, a topic that, or, or a term that you know everybody has their own description for. Um, can you kind of start by giving us you know the ISO's 
uh, definition of when we talk about DERs in the in today's conversation, what what does that mean? I have a an opinion of what I think it means, but that's not important. What what's important is what you guys think it means. Um, well, I would I would disagree with that. I think okay. everybody's got everybody has their own opinion, and this is actually something that came out in the Ontario Energy Board's process um, that they're running right now. It's titled "Responding to DERs," and it's a very it has the potential anyway to be a very large process that covers a lot of different ground. Um, but one of the things that they they pulled out, and, and I think we're cognizant of it as well, is that there are a ton of different definitions of of DER that exist out there, and depending on the context or the application of those types of, of those resources or whatever it is that you're specifically talking about, I think those different definitions all can hold water. Okay. Um, when we're looking at it from the perspective of uh, you know, the work that we're doing right now, but how do we get them, these resources into or enhance how they participate in the market, remove barriers to their, to their market participation. Um, we're really thinking about it from the perspective of these things being connected to the distribution system, I think, which is one, uh, you know, uh, parameter of everybody's definition of DER that, that exists because it, it's got its own letter in the acronym. So how could, you can't avoid it. Right. Um, that it's connected uh, either directly to the distribution system or it's behind um, a load customer's meter. Um, generally, we think of them as being small, but we don't really specify how small or large. Um, there are some, you know, some numbers in terms of megawatts or kilowatts that, that come into play um, when we're having the discussion, like the minimum size threshold, for example, to participate in the wholesale markets. That's a megawatt. So. Okay. Maybe that's your where your, where your number sits, but but technically a you know a DER can be three, five, whatever, as long as it's connected to the distribution system. Um, and then when when we again when we look at it from the perspective of um, how can it participate in wholesale markets, we kind of define it as being something that generates energy, stores energy, or controls load, or or some mix of those components. Um, where 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 we've had some discussion ongoing with stakeholders. Um, and, and the OEB has flagged this in their process as well, is, is whether energy efficiency counts within that definition of DER. Okay. Um, and, you know, from our perspective of uh, how, the work that we're doing right now and, and how we enhance how these things participate in the markets, we've excluded it um, for the series of white papers that we're working on. But that's really only because it, energy efficiency faces, uh, it's, it's unique in, in perspective in comparison to things like solar panels or an energy storage resource or behind the meter uh, natural gas plant or CHP plant or something like that, in that it's not controllable, it doesn't inject energy. Right. Um, and and it's, a, it's a constant uh, reduction that exists at the, at the source point of the load. Um, so we are looking at how you can bring energy efficiency into markets. Um, we're just not doing it through, uh, you know, the series of white papers that we're working on or, or some of the re other research. We're, we're actually running a pilot auction um, for energy efficiency, and we're going to procure it as a capacity resource and see, see how that works, see if there's uptake, see how people um, are able to put together projects that um, are providing load reductions during the specified times that, that align with when we're procuring any other resource in our in our normal capacity auction. So it's going to be a standalone auction, and we're looking at how we can bring it into the markets. We're just we're not doing it through some of the other um, research initiatives that we have right now. It's kind of its own thing off to the side, if you will. So let's let's dive deep on that piece first, because that's intriguing to me. So you're running a separate auction for energy efficiency. Did I understand that correctly? As a, as a capacity yeah. product. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's called. I think I'm gonna get the ter the term wrong because I'm not working on it directly. It's it's within my um, like my my broader group, but um, it's the energy efficiency auction pilot. Okay. And so, how does that practically work? Like, I'm I'm anticipating, and and you even mentioned it. You know, typically, energy efficiency improvements are you know you make the improvement, you see a step change in the in the uh, consumption, um, and 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 away you go. It's not. It's not like you choose to operate uh, a load inefficiently until you get a dispatch signal, and then you choose to operate it efficiently for a period of time. Um, but maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking too hard or not enough about it. Like, how do you guys practically see somebody uh, bidding an energy efficiency thing as a capacity play? So the way that we're thinking about it really is, um, like, if you think about to to your point, a normal energy efficiency measure. Let's say it's uh, lighting or more efficient refrigeration units or something. Yes. You install it and the load profile changes and it 
for all intents and purposes, changes permanently, and it changes at all hours that you would be operating that load. Right. Um, the capacity market is meant to uh, pay people to be available, um, and and when we when we run a capacity auction, um, we specify a certain number of hours, generally during a certain season. So we have you know hours. I'm making this up because this is sorry the actual hours because I, I don't recall specifically where when the capacity auction um, sets them for. But let's say it's between. Um, 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. during the summer, and let's say it's a little bit later during the winter. So those would be um, the the seasons and the time frames that the capacity auction would pay a resource to be available during. And then you're required to bid into the energy market during those those time frames for the amount of capacity that you cleared in the auction. So that's how we make sure that um, when we pay you for capacity that you're available during the hours and the seasons that you said you were going to be available and whether or not you get scheduled is beside the point um, scheduled and dispatched in the energy market. So whether or not you run doesn't matter. It's we paid you to be available. That's what the capacity auction does. Right. Um, sorry, not to say that whether or not you run isn't doesn't matter. If you're scheduled to run, you have to run. Right. Uh, otherwise, you, otherwise you get dinked. But if you don't get scheduled, you can still get the capacity payment. So the way that the we're thinking about it for energy efficiency is we will only pay um, a, a, a participant that's successful in the energy efficiency auction, if the load, the modified load profile um, of their of the lo of the load that's in question um, after the energy efficiency measure is providing uh, reductions during those those set hours during those set seasons. So, if for example we have a need for capacity during, uh, let's say 2 p.m. during the summer. You probably aren't going to install um, a lighting measure in order to be successful in that energy efficiency capacity auction, unless for whatever reason you have no access uh, to other light and that load would have been running during those times and you can reduce it. But your average office building house or whatever, they're not going to have their lights on during that time. Um, so they don't have anything to install an energy efficiency measure on to make a load reduction that would show up during those hours that we're paying for. I see. Okay. Okay. So, so is your uh, a reduction in, or sorry, a change out, for example, in your, um, in your air conditioning load in some way, shape, or form, though that that likely would show up during those hours. And, and so, is the thinking that the capacity auction would add a, um, for lack of a better term, a revenue stack to a energy incentive project that would would you know might might be marginal but would tip it over the edge, and so then you'd see a bigger uptake in energy efficiency. Is that kind of the thinking? Well, the way that we're the way that we're trying to go with you know uh, everything, not just energy efficiency or, or everything that for the, that it makes sense for, is to bring them bring resources into the market so everybody's competing against everybody, um, and the the best things sort of flow to the surface, the best resources that are most cost effective, most flexible, whatever um, the ones that best meet system needs would be a better way to capture it um, are the ones that win out. So. We're not thinking for the purposes of the pilot. If you're if you're receiving some sort of an incentive already from Ontario ratepayers, you're not eligible to participate in, okay. in the energy efficiency pilot. Um, just because it it distorts market prices, and we're trying to find out um, because it is a pilot what people can do, what cost they can do it for, who's going to show up, um, etc. So, and that's likely like if I had to. Uh, draw a line in the sand or, or put a finger on a crystal ball, I would imagine that that would be a similar type of restriction that would exist if energy efficiency was ever incorporated wholesale into the the enduring capacity auction. Um, is, you know, similarly to how problems that people are having, or system operators are having in the States right now, when you have subsidized resources that participate in a wholesale market, it depresses the prices in those markets. Um, some would say unfairly um, and others with policy priorities would say very fairly, but that's a, that's a different debate. Sure. Um, and so you, you want to, you want to, at least, especially for the pilot purposes, you want to make sure that we're, we're kind of, we're figuring out what people can do and what price they can do it at. Gotcha. Um, so in, yeah, in the future, you would just, if, if this all goes according to, uh, if it all goes well and it, the pilot works out well, you would just have energy efficiency participating in a capacity auction um, in the future, same as anything else would. Okay. Very clear. I got it now. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for expanding on that uh, piece of the, the discussion. Um, back to the, the the DER, the Distributed Energy Resource. Um, 
it sounds like there's a couple initiatives. The ISO has an initiative, uh, and then the OEB is running a different initiative, I think. Talk to us about the ISO initiative. I think it involves some white papers. Like, what's the formal process you guys are going through as it relates to PERs? Sure. So, the, the I guess the overarching goal is to figure out um, whether it makes sense to, and if it does, how to uh, integrate DERs more fully into the wholesale markets. The wholesale markets are, you know, our main mandate. That's that's what we administer. Um, so we're looking at it from that perspective. Um, so we are running a series of white papers right now. We've done one, um, and we're working on the second one currently. Um, that are that are looking at looking at exactly that. So the first paper um, kind of intended as a level setting exercise, make sure everybody was working on the same um, basis for terminology that we were using the discussion. For example, the discussion we had at the beginning of this, where we were talking about what actually counts as a DER, what do we define as a DER? Okay. Um, get the current lay of the land on how DERs participate in wholesale markets today, which uh, ISO markets they can participate in, and how. Um, and then laying, just kind of laying out like a broader conceptual framework for how they can participate in general. Um, and then going through the barriers that they have to participation. So the second paper though is, is really going to look at how, how do we actually address those barriers or what are some options to address those barriers? Okay. Um, so actual change. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So just to summarize before we move on. So, you know, really ICE, the ISO is administering the wholesale market. Your, work with distributed energy resources is to assess if and how they can get integrated into the wholesale market. So set set a differently, set a set a different way. You guys you guys are are hosting this this party and you're deciding are we going to let these this next group of people into the party is kind of a, a simplified way of of describing what you guys are working on, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um and like from our from our perspective, right? The more people, the more more participants in in said party that you can have uh, at the party, yeah. The, you know, there's more competition, um, which we we generally um, have seen results in lower prices for consumers, which is good. Yes. Um, and you have the more more available, you have more resiliency, you have more people competing to meet, to provide the same services. Um, which eventually hits some sort of a balance where you know we have lots of different um, options to choose from to whether that's energy capacity, any of our ancillary services like regulation or operating reserve, et cetera. Uh -huh. um, well, we just have to make sure uh, as we're going through that process, you know we, we we think competition is good and we want to have as many resources that are technically capable of providing those services competing to provide those services. Um, but we have to make sure that the the hoops we have to jump through in order to have those those different participants participate, um, you know, are balanced from the from the perspective of how much how much is it going to cost to integrate those different types of resources? How much time is it going to take? How complicated does administration of the markets become? Do we have the technical capability to actually do some of the things that you need to do in order to have them participate effectively? Um, so we're going through that sort of research phase internally just to find out, okay, what are the barriers? How do we address them? what does or how could we address them what does it take to address them and then based on what it takes to address them you know and and what we think we're going to get from from bringing those types of resources into the market then we have to do sort of a cross organizational look at um you know does it make sense to for example reduce the minimum size threshold to participate below one megawatt you get X extra number of resources participating they're going to be of this type and they're going to provide these services that's great it costs this much, it takes this much time, it's this complicated, okay. Um, and then you compare that against other things that we might do um, that could that would also have benefits for competition, et cetera. It might not be related to DERs at all. Maybe it's a tool upgrade that that our system operators have been looking to do for a long period of time, which tends to be the case. Um, and that has you know X benefits and X costs. And you have to compare everything organizationally wide to find out what actually makes the most sense. Mm. So this, this effort, so, Part one of the white paper series was basically kind of defining the the framework. What are the terms? Are we all you know singing from the same song sheet in terms of what this looks like? And probably through that you've identified these barriers. And then is is part two um, kind of the the outcome of that analysis you just talked about in terms of 
you know, really understanding the barriers and then developing a plan to to overcome those barriers. Is that what part two is about? Yeah, it's 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 putting forward a bunch of options to address the barriers, um, and then diving into each of those options to find out, uh, you know, what does it get us, and then how difficult slash costly do we think it would be to implement. Um, and then we have a group called the Market Development Advisory Group that's run by our our markets team. Um, and basically anything that uh, after market renewal um, that is going to happen from a market market change perspective or a market design perspective, it, it tends to start within that stakeholder group and it gets talked about and hashed around and they kind of make recommendations of, of which things move forward. Um, so the outcomes of these white papers will filter through that process with, with the market development advisory group. And then that's where that kind of that stack up against other stuff that they, that we might do from a market change perspective happens. Um, and then they could make a recommendation to say, okay, you know, these three options, for example, um, that were talked about in the white paper DER make sense. These other eight right now do not. Um, plus these other two that have nothing to do with DERs make sense. Um, ISO, the recommendation is you go forward with these things. Okay. Gotcha. So you guys are looking at challenges, barriers, you're doing a, an assessment of, in simple terms, a cost benefit. You know, these are, these are 10 barriers. Here's the cost benefit of each of these. You're going to feed it to this uh, advisory board. They're going to filter that with other, um, you know, recommendations for other types of market renewal. They're going to, you know, evaluate the cost benefit again and, and make a, a global recommendation to the ISO of as we as we migrate forward, you should you should do this stuff, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. So let let's talk a little bit about those barriers. Are they barriers on the ISO side in terms of how you manage the wholesale? Are they the are they barriers from the perspective of the DER asset owner in terms of you know technology or communication or metering or uh, maybe it's all of the above. Uh, and then second question would be, you know, can you walk us through maybe a couple of examples so we can get a feel for what you guys are wrestling with right now? Yeah, sure. So I think the they're, they're all barriers that we, we're only really looking at the barriers that we have control over to change. Okay. Um, there's, there's other stuff uh, that exists. That can that can act as a barrier um, that you know, for example, might get set by uh, NERC or the the NPCC or Measurement Canada um, mm. that we don't have any control over. And so, while they're interesting and we want to have an understanding of what they are and how they impact participation, we can't actually do anything about it, at least not in the short term. So we want to look at the stuff that is acts as a barrier from the perspective of the DER. Um, but that we, you know, exist in our market rules or has to do with the tools that we use um, so that we have an actual, um, an actual ability to, to make changes um, in, the, in the short, medium term. So the main ones that we're looking at are the minimum size threshold that is established in our market rules. So we say basically that if you are um, less than a megawatt in size, you cannot participate directly in the wholesale markets. Okay. There are some there's some ability to aggregate with other resources um, that are less than a megawatt to, to reach that megawatt number. But the, the ways that you can aggregate and the types of resources that can aggregate are limited. Um, and that's kind of established by the, by the market rules, what you can and can't do. And then also just the capabilities of our, of our network modeling tool, okay. um, which basically is like a, you know, a whole model of the, of the bulk system. Um, so we're also looking, so that's minimum size threshold is the first one. We're also looking at those aggregation specific rules um, that say who can aggregate, uh, what types of technologies can aggregate, where the boundaries of those aggregations can be, um, that type of stuff. We're looking at the, um, the telemetry uh, requirements that we have um, and, and more specifically um, the the sources of, of telemetry that, that we allow. Um, generally, people are meeting our, our telemetry requirements by uh, installing a, an ISO revenue grade meter, which can be used for settlement data as well as operational data. Um, but these things are pretty expensive. And when we're talking, like, you know, we, we can be talking up to like $30,000. And for, you know, a, a rooftop solar facility that has uh, maybe some energy storage connected to it or, or not, um, you know, on a, on a commercial business, $30,000 for the, for, to provide that operational data is, is, makes the project uneconomic. 
Right. Um, and I think it would be the same for a small scale natural gas facility as well. So um, we're looking at other sources that you can get that data from um, that can meet our requirements for the information that we need uh, on the timeframes we need them with the accuracy that we need them, et cetera. Um, but that are much less expensive. And, and in a lot of cases from the stuff we're looking at already exist. Um, they're already collecting that information for other purposes. And it's just mm -hmm. like, okay, well, how, how do we, how do we get it? And does it meet our requirements? Um, and then we're also looking at a, a full on participation model for um, aggregated non-dispatchable generation. So, you know, aggregations of smaller scale facilities of non-dispatchable generation, something like, uh, like solar or, uh, or small wind, for example. Um, because currently those types of those types of um, facilities have no way to participate on an aggregated basis. Huh. Uh, and then we're looking at a couple other things, um, but they're not as related to market participation. Like those things specifically will prevent you from participating in the wholesale markets. But we're also looking at how to address barriers with uh, interoperability for, with local distribution companies, for example, hmm. which doesn't prevent you from participating in the market. But if you can, if I can just run through a quick scenario. Um, Let's say you have, you know, two megawatts of um, 10 kilowatt facilities all across the distributor's uh, system, um, and they're participating in our markets, which means they're responding to wholesale, um, wholesale, wholesale market price signals or, or system conditions at the bulk level. Um, and we, let's say we call it, um, we give them a dispatch signal and they're all running. Um, generally, from, a, from an LDC's perspective, those, whatever it is, um, you know, 200 uh, facilities wouldn't have all been operating at the same time. They wouldn't have all been operating similar, you know, similar amounts. Um, and now they are. Right. So we're looking at we're looking at ways that we can have better communication um, with local distribution companies, so that there's better information pass off both ways. We can tell them, you know, these facilities are part of an aggregation, and they're all going to be running together. Um, this is when we're dispatching them potentially like by sharing actual schedules is an option. Um, and then they can also communicate back up to us any types of changes that happen with distribution network um, configurations, which happen for lots of different reasons, whether that's an outage or there's an emergency um, at, or for regular routine maintenance or something like that, where something has changed in the configuration of the distribution network that that aggregation is connected to, which actually changes either where it delivers or how much of it, how much energy it can deliver. And we would need to need, need to know those things, um, especially as you get more and more of this stuff uh, on the system so that we are giving dispatch signals that are actually um, doable and we know where the energy is going to show up when it gets dispatched. I see. Okay. And, and do you see this, these DERs, are they, is this all like the program goes live and you see a build out in a direct response to participating in the wholesale market? Or are you thinking of the DERs um, being potentially existing assets? Because I, I see a potential uh, then of, you know, overlap between, you know, there's, there's assets that are out there now, you know, for whatever reason, they've been deployed under some other market signal, whether that be, you know, PSUI conservation or, you know, some of the FIT programs. Um, is, is the DER initiative that you guys are considering focused only on a new build or, or would others be able to participate as well? Um, so I'll, I'll just, one, one clarification, I guess, is, and this is, I think this is just kind of part and parcel of Ontario's um, past, where when people look at this type of work, um, you know, the term that you used was an initiative. Um, and I think people will sometimes think of like, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the next DER program? Right. Because that's, that's how Ontario's done things, um, you know, since the, before 2009, when, when we're talking about uh, RES or RESOP, mm -hmm. um, and then FIT, FIT and MicroFIT afterwards. Um, and the situation that we're trying to get to more so is, is that for all resources that are technically capable of providing the services that we buy, uh, as the ISO, that they are able to participate in the markets that buy those services. So we're, we're, we're really looking at like bar barrier reduction and expanding our capabilities to take advantage of these things in a, in a better. Um, so just the, just the clarification, I guess that like, this isn't uh this isn't and wouldn't be a DER initiative. It's, this is really just how do we change what the, the market rules are and the capabilities of the ISO so that we can take advantage of these things. Understood. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, no, no problem. Um, 
but to to answer the question um, more directly, I think it, I think it, we think it's going to happen from both from both ways, right? Um, like you said, there's a bunch of DER out there. Like we have over 4,000 megawatts that's been installed already under past programs, um, and when those contracts run out, um, those resources are you know they're either going to shut down or they're going to keep running. Um, and from our perspective, if we can have them participating in wholesale markets, if they're technically capable of doing so, that's the best outcome at the end of those contracts, because then we get visibility of them um, and what they're doing. And we provide a revenue source um, that's appropriate to the services that they're providing that uh, hopefully you know, enables us to keep their energy and capacity for as long as they're able to run. Um, if they go away, we in, like in their entirety, and we lose that energy capacity. And that's something else we have to procure. And especially if they're contracted resources, like these things are, you know, by, by the end of the twenty years, they're going to be one hundred percent paid for from a capital perspective. So they're just talking about operations and maintenance costs on an ongoing basis. So they're going to be they're going to be cheap. To 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 me, yeah, right. To me, uh, what's interesting about this program, one of the things is is you're going to get energy or capacity, or you 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 as as the ISO on behalf of the you know consumer of electricity in this province, you're going to get services provided um funded by either funded a long time ago or funded on somebody else's nickel um you know so so from an economic perspective i think it makes it makes really good sense uh, so right that's exciting yeah and the other part the other side of that that will happen i think I, I think that there will be some there'll be some resources especially in front of the meter resources that are directly connected to the grid that that will be being built specifically to participate in wholesale markets and because of the revenues that are available there, similar to how large-scale assets get built on the transmission system today. Um, and maybe not, maybe that's not, maybe that's an unfair statement um, in Ontario because you don't have a lot of merchant participants because of uh, what our market prices are, but that's how it works in the States anyway, um, or Alberta, for example. Right. I, think that, I think that will happen, um, especially as global adjustment goes down over time and the available revenues from market participation go up over time, which is what we're expecting to happen as, as resources come off of contract and we're not paying for them via via the global adjustment anymore. Um, the other thing that will happen, I think, um, is that you're going to have these behind the meter resources that customers are installing for uh, their own reasons. And, you know, to, to use the language that you used at the beginning of that question, I think some of them will say, like, oh, you know, I was going to do it, um, but it wasn't quite 100, it wasn't all the way there terms of payback that I was looking for, but oh, look, I can also bid it into the wholesale market and I get this, this little bit of this extra bit of money. Um, okay, now it makes sense for me. Or people will be like we've seen with the industrial conservation initiative, they'll be installing behind the meter resources entirely for their own purposes because it entirely makes economic sense to you know, avoid demand charges or to um, provide them with better power quality or resiliency or something like that. Yes, and then and then they'll also just be able to participate in the market. So we want to take advantage of it from both sides. Um, we want to incent development in the places of the province where it makes sense, which you can communicate via price signals for things like capacity or or local locational marginal price on energy, which is where we're moving. Um, you know, if it's more expensive over here, then hopefully people will install the resources over there um, to take advantage of those prices. And then we'll also think that we're, we also want to be able to, to know about um, and use the services from behind the meter resources um, that we wouldn't normally know about. Like from a visibility perspective, if you're not in the market um, and you don't have a contract, we don't actually know where you are uh, and we don't know what you're doing. And that's not really a big problem when there's very small amounts of this stuff. But if if and when there is a lot of it, then that creates a pretty big forecasting problem. Um, both from a long-term perspective from planning the system, but also uh, from a short-term perspective of how much, you know, how much energy are we scheduling for the next five minutes or for the next hour? So your, um, your how, of, how many? Yeah, your lack of visibility kind of over the fence, so to speak, uh, into these DERs at this point is, is not necessarily a, a lost opportunity to, to better utilize those assets, although that may be the case. Really, where the ISO feels the biggest pain is uh, you're you're flying blind in terms of a, a large portion of of the province's capacity or energy because people are um, taking action and you have no visibility on it. It's more of a problem than a missed opportunity. Is that what you're saying? No, I think they're pretty. I think they're pretty equal. To oh. be honest with you, like we like with what's installed in the province right now, uh, DER wise, we've got we know where it is because it's got a contract with us. 
right. we, we want to keep that. We don't have real time visibility of it because um, that's not how with that, you know, those requirements aren't built into the contract and they don't have telemetry to our control room. But in the future, when they come off contract, we want to keep visibility and get better visibility if we can. We want to pay them appropriately um, based on what market prices are in their areas. And then for new stuff that comes on, we want to make sure we have visibility of that stuff where, where we need to. Um, and same thing, um, if, if providing a revenue source from wholesale market participation um, encourages assets to be located in areas where it makes where it makes the most sense and provides the most system benefits, then that's, we want to be able to provide that signal. Hmm. Just you said telemetry, and 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 I'm skating a little bit because I'm I'm not an electrical engineer by trade. But when we do a project right now uh, as a load displacement, we have a some form of telemetry, I think, with 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 the with the local LDC and with Hydro One, you know, through our you know what we call or what they call SCADA. It, but I think that's mostly status and and stuff like that. You guys are talking about kind of the next level of telemetry beyond that, where you're getting real-time operating data beyond just kilowatts, you're getting a whole bunch of other stuff and weather data and, and right? You're, you're talking about kind of the next level of telemetry. Is that what you're voicing there? Uh, yeah, for the most part, like it depends on how big you are, um, what information you have to provide. But to your, to your point, like, and this is one of the things we're looking at um, in the in the second white paper, that a lot of the information that we need is captured by local distribution companies already. Oh. Um, and for, and for, for in some cases, a lot of cases, it, it's captured on a pretty near real-time basis um, where like, it's not the SCADA information to your point, like which tends to be you know, static for the most part. But they, for um, Hydro One, for example, collects um, operational data from um, distributed generation that's 250 kilowatts and above like what it literally what it's doing at the time um, or has the capability to capture literally what it's doing at the time. I think generally they only capture it if there's like a, a large change um, in what its status is. So you wouldn't get like, you know, every four second data, what it's doing, what it's doing, what it's doing, what it's doing. It'll be like at one point what it's doing. And then when there's a big change, you'll get another data point, for example. Right. Um, but that's, that's, that's a really big potential in our minds that we, that we're looking into because, if, if it's already being collected and it meets our needs, then you don't have to have people install some other piece of equipment and raise the cost of market participation just in order for us to know what the, what the resource is doing. Right. So it might, it might turn out it's just as, it might be as easy as you know, going to the operating center in Barrie and tapping Hydro One on the shoulder and say, can I have that data, please? Like the, the obviously there's legal and, and other things to sort through, but um, it could be that some of that infrastructure already exists and the leap to what you guys need for wholesale market participation may not be a significant leap. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Cool. So stepping back a bit, Ben, um, kind of from a macro view again, the, the, the ISO's work on, on DERs, distributed energy resources, is it driven by just a, you know, part of the innovation stuff we talked about earlier as it relates to, you know, trying to, be on the edge of you know where things are going and really you know respond to a dynamic market or is it also or instead is it you know looking at hey we got long-term five-year ten-year uh, plans that have you know things changing at the nuclear level or whatever and we need energy or capacity or both is this is this a response to kind of some long-term planning stuff that's coming or is it just a we want a more dynamic market. Let's get more people participating in, in the market that's working quite well. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's 100% both. Um, like when we're do, when we're looking at the the long term energy capacity and ancillary service needs, um, it's not that I don't want to say that the you know the white papers, for example, and the early research that's looking into DERs was um, you know called upon from from on high within the organization. They're like, okay, DERs are going to be how we're going to meet this. But it's a potential, and um, so so that like we are looking into it for the hopefully with the with the hope sorry hopefully with the hope we are looking at it with the hope that uh, you know if we can integrate them better into the markets that that they can serve to meet those needs uh, in the future. Um, you're not going to it's kind of like a a situation where it, they won't meet the needs that we have identified in the future if they can't participate in the markets. 
um, or if we don't, you know, do contracting initiatives and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just, and even if they are participating, or sorry, even if they are contributing to meeting the needs, if we don't have any visibility on it, it like it creates other needs. So having having them in the markets is a, is a really big benefit um, from from our perspective so that we have the visibility and so that they, they can be used to meet those needs. I, I, again, I don't want to say that it's um, like it's a critical path item to meeting the needs um, because at the end of the day, if, you know, we, if we're getting into crunch time and there's a whatever one gigawatt need that's identified three or five years out or something like that, um, we're not going to say, okay, well, let's hope the DERs show up. Uh, let's get them in the markets. You, you'd probably at that point, um, you know, pull the trigger and, and, uh, and, and hopefully you'd have like a, a large resource or something like that show up. But if they're in the markets, you know, in the, in the medium term, and then those needs that are further out start initializing and then people start participating, um, building these, building these things for their own purposes and then participating within the markets, then, then they can absolutely, um, they absolutely can meet those needs in the future. Gotcha. Okay. And, and that's, you know, I asked the question really on behalf of, you know, the folks that we engage with every day who are, you know, trying to, you know, a lot of people are hearing about the DER discussion and they have put in some of their own DER, they're trying to make educated decisions. And and so, you know, to know that it's, it's not just, you know, about broadening the market, it's also, because um, a lot of people, quite frankly, and I'm one of them, you know, don't really understand everything about how the market works or don't live and breathe it, but they do understand, you know, we don't have enough power in the future. That's pretty simple. And so to say, hey, listen, you know, DERs can play a role, a big role in meeting the needs of our future grid. I think that sends, you know, some real clear signals to, you know, Ontario um, participants that, hey, you know, if you guys start keep thinking, keep thinking this way, because we're going to need your help. Right. Um, right. So cool. We've talked a lot about your um, initiative as it relates to DERs, Ben. The OEB is also doing something with, as it relates to uh, distributed energy resources. They are, um, and I, I, I'll put a grain of uh, I'll put the grain of salt down that uh, I'm not the expert to be talking to. Like, if, you know, I'm sure that they would actually be be happy to to do a to do a similar thing like this. Well, I guess I can't put words in their mouth on that part either. But sure. um, suffice to say that uh, it's not my initiative, so I, I might. Uh, not have everything 100% accurate, but they, they're running two processes right now. One's called responding to DERs and one's called utility remuneration. Um, and basically it's looking at what needs to evolve in the regulatory framework that they administer. Um, so things like the distribution system code or um, how the, the, the rules around how utilities can get paid and for what and that type of thing. Um, what needs to change in that regulatory framework to account for the fact that 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 DERs are showing up on the system um, right now. And so that process is uh, underway. Um, I think the next, like the next, they've they've run a couple of different stakeholder sessions and they've kind of uh, put forward their thoughts on what's going to be in scope for those initiatives. Um, And they haven't, I think the next step is for them to come back. They're they're taking feedback right now on what's going to be in scope. And then the next thing will be for them to say, okay, here's, Here's the decision we've made, and, and here's what's in scope. Um, but I don't think there's there's not timelines that have been um, set forth for that that secondary step from them. Um, and and I think that's really because like they they don't have a CEO right now. They're they're still going through a pretty big um, leadership change uh, over there, um, and they're they're waiting. I think rightly to have uh, to have their leadership team solidified um, before they start making. Uh, big steps uh, on some of these initiatives. So they're, they're stakeholdering, they're taking in feedback, they're putting out current staff's thinking, et cetera, but they're not drawing a line in the sand about what it is that they're gonna tackle in this initiative 100% until I, until I think they have the, the, their, their new leadership team in place. Sure, okay, very, very interesting. Um, how does, in the, in the broader DER framework, how does, um, well, let me, let me ask this question first, maybe that will help. The in the in the white paper that you guys published, part one, um, you you have these terms of direct, aggregated, dispatchable, non-dispatchable. Uh, you've used them a couple times um, for the education of me and perhaps some of our listeners. Can you just quickly walk through what what you mean by those uh, defined terms? Yeah, um, direct just means that it's a single facility that's you know connected directly and it's participating directly in the market. So. You know, a single gas facility, for example, it's all by itself, 
one owner, one person, well, probably multiple people, but um, participating directly. Uh, aggregated just means that there are multiple facilities that are being operated uh, as a, like as a one. Um, so you might have five or six or more facilities that are receiving um, a single dispatch signal, and then it's up to the aggregator to say, okay, how am I going to um, take that dispatch signal for whatever it might be, let's say it's five megawatts during the next hour, um, I'm going to give five megawatts to each of my, or sorry, one megawatt to each of my facilities or 500 kilowatts to each of my facilities and they're going to run, they're going to operate as a unit, but it's multiple facilities. Okay. Um, dispatchable and non-dispatchable for the purposes of our work, pretty much if it's dispatchable, it can respond to a five minute signal. Um, so the ISO sends a signal and it's, it's, it's responded within five minutes. Uh, and then if it's not dispatchable, it's everything else. So that's a broad category. Um, and our own market rules admittedly get into way more detail. There's a bunch of different types of non-dispatchable resources, for example, there's a bunch of different types, or there's a couple of different types of dispatchable resources as well. But um, for the purposes of the research and the and the DER white papers, we're kind of we're making that 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 higher level dividing line between can you respond on a five minute five minute basis or can't you? Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you. And and then how does this DER initiative overlap with some of the other programs like? You know, you ha I think you still have the demand response program. You have the uh, operating reserve. You know, is, is there an overlap or am I looking at them from the wrong perspective? How do those mesh together? Yeah, like there's definitely overlap with demand response um, because a lot of demand response resources tend to be distributed, right? Um, like connected to the distribution system. But I, I would view it as sort of a separate thing. Um, the demand response uh there's the demand, like demand response is a resource that we use. There's a demand response working group that deals with issues specific to demand response, things like, um, you know, energy payments for activations or metering and settlement issues that they have, access to data issues that they have. Um, and, and they kind of, they, they do their work and those, the work that they do results in potential changes to market rules, et cetera, that are specific to, to demand response. Um, this work is trying to look at, as opposed to, um, issues that relate to specific technologies, which we would count demand response as kind of a specific technology, or like we're not looking at solar specific issues or wind specific issues. We're looking at issues that affect um, all DERs, like the minimum size threshold or the, the rules for aggregation. Um, so they're separate in, in that way. Um, there is there is some overlap, admittedly, and I think uh, stakeholders have, have called us out on that in the past, and um, frankly, I agree. Um, it just the way that the way that things kind of play out, I guess. Um, operating reserve, I would I would count that as as entirely separate. There's I think there's actually a working group on operating reserve that kind of in, in some ways would function similar to uh, the demand response working group where it's you know specific issues related to to operating reserve. But operating reserve is just a product that we buy. It's just um, energy on standby basically. Okay. Um, and uh, and we're and the the DER work is is looking at um, you know barriers to providing that product, but it's uh, it's it's just one of the one of the many products that we purchase. I see. Okay, and then um, kind of a forward-looking thought. You know, we've had some conversations on this podcast before about you know the the electric vehicle, you know, the EV world, um, you know, electrification of everything. How do those topics, albeit still in their infancy, but how do they, do they have a, a stake in the DER world? Do they, are they totally separate? I, I don't think you can look at DERs without at least having that as some frame of reference, but how does that get into the mix here? It's a good question. Um, I don't have a pre-thought out answer for you on it, to be honest. It's uh, like when we're talking about EVs and other types of new technologies that, you know, could be counted as DER. I think, yeah, they've got a stake in, in this consultation and it would be great to have their their opinions um, as we're working through, um, you know, options to address the barriers, et cetera. Because like there's lots of stuff that could apply to them, um, especially with, when we're talking about, you know, EVs, for example, like it's in their interest to have the ISO lower the minimum size threshold for market participation, even if there are other barriers to EVs or EV charging stations participating in the markets, and 100% there are, but this is something that would, would will impact them when and if they're they're looking to participate in, in wholesale markets. Same with aggregation, um, how they're able to aggregate, what the boundaries of the aggregations they're allowed to create are. 
So these are kind of like the first level problems that DERs are going to have. And then in as you get into the future and you're getting into more sort of technology specific questions, um, you're going to have those problems as well, but you kind of work through those um, in, in stepwise fashion. So for anybody that's, um, you know, a developer of those different types of technologies, people with an interest in seeing those types of technologies providing services to, in the wholesale markets. I think I think they definitely um, should have an interest in participating in the in the DER discussion as it proceeds through you know this early research and development phase through to um, you know the market development advisory group that we talked about before. Yeah, I you know my my two cents on it is I I see you know a you know I think the I think they're they're well, I don't think that they're coming and they're they're going to continue to you know increase in their adoption and, and you know the, on the wire side you know getting enough you know power as we continue to move to electrification that's going to be you know its own it's going to present its own challenges but when you look at EVs as a as a technology as a whole you have you know a very um, controllable load uh, I, I think you know by and large and can be dispatched, you know, both as a load or can shut off and, and be a, you know, a, a DER in some regards by, you know, conservation. So it can kind of go both ways in some regards if that was ever needed. Um, so certainly there's there's a, an opportunity for it to act as a DER in an aggregated fashion. And to your point, you know, those who are, it's not us, but those who are front and center in that industry, it would be great if they could be at the table because, yeah, that, your DER framework is going to come to play probably at the same time where we get critical mass on EVs. And so you hope they, the two would line up, right? So, yeah, you would hope. And that, that's, that's why we're trying to, that's why we're trying to start it now. And, and some people would even say that, um, that we're a little late to the game in, in figuring these things out, mm. um, to be honest, but it's, uh, Ontario, like in many other ways is a unique jurisdiction. And, you know, we've had a, a ton of deployment of these types of things because of programs and, and it's slowed down, as of late, um, because the programs have gone away um, and incentives for things like EVs have, have been reduced. I think there's still federal incentives um, available for that type of stuff. But uh, we've also had, you know, uh, subsidized electricity rates that have come into play over the past uh, two years or so. Um, and so we're not we're not paying the actual cost of the electricity that it, that it takes to generate it. Um, so all of those types of factors play into, I think, have, have slowed the growth of, of DERs in general um, in Ontario. Um, and so you, we might not be that far behind the curve in terms of when we need to figure out all of this stuff, um, is the hope. Um, and then on the other side of the fence, right, you have you have ICI, which is incenting storage behind the meter uh, in a big way, and, and natural gas behind the meter as well. So there's, there's certain segments of DERs that are going much, much faster. Um, and then there's certain segments of DERs that, are, that, have, that have slowed down dramatically. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it, both exciting, I think, for you, and and challenging for you at the same time because of how you know dynamic and and uh, fast moving uh, the market is. Um, so, are, anything else? We've talked a lot about DER, but I don't want to I don't want to miss anything either. Is there anything else DER related that we missed Ben in this conversation? Um, the only one that I would that I would point people to. Um, Especially, I think probably some of like depends where your customers are located, but probably some of the customers that you guys serve is bring your attention to the the York Region non wires alternative pilot. Is that that something you're familiar with? Uh, I've heard a bit, but I'd love a primer on it. Sure. Sure. So it's a it's a pilot that um, ISO is running um, in the York Region, and um, it's in conjunction with uh, Electra, which is the local distribution company out there. And they're they're actually piloting the running of a local market for energy and capacity to serve um, to have DERs serve as non-wires alternatives. So to a, to a, they have like a lot of load growth out there. Um, it's going to require transmission infrastructure in order to meet the the load growth with with our existing capacity that's located in other parts of the province. Um, and they're testing out the ability to, for for um, an LDC or an entity like an LDC to to run those local markets to schedule DERs in order to avoid having to buy to build that 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 transmission and distribution infrastructure so when we say um, just for clarity when we and i've heard that phrase before a non-wires alternative um and what you mean by that is in this at least in this context you mean non-transmission wires there will still be a distribution system and there will be you know it won't be just a, a simple uh, micro grid it, it will be a, a distribution grid but 
what's avoided is new uh, transmission infrastructure. Is that right? Yeah, it can be both though, to be honest. Uh, like if you're always gonna need a, the distribution infrastructure, especially if you're locating you know, small gas plants or energy storage or solar or whatever. Um, demand response or something on the distribution grid, but you can build um, to, like theoretically how this all works is yeah you could avoid the transmission infrastructure because you don't have to bring energy from outside of the distribution system into it to meet the new needs, um, but maybe you can build a, a smaller uh, smaller like distribution station. Uh, maybe you can build less distribution infrastructure in general uh, in order to meet the needs because you don't have to move power around, you're generating it and storing it and reducing demand closer to the loads that actually are going to exist. Huh, okay, cool. Um, so that's a real, what you're saying is that's a real life kind of localized pilot of, you know, ideally the best of VER, um, you know, as, as, as it can respond to load growth. Yeah, exactly. And the the rules for that pilot are not 100% set. Um, but if you go onto the ISO's website and you sort search, sorry, uh, York Region non wires alternative pilot, you'll you'll pull up the engagement page. And uh, uh, I'm not sure what the timelines are um, 100% off the top of my head, but I know that in the not too distant future, they're going to be putting out you know draft rules of how they're going to run it. And you know if you've got um, people that are that are in the area, customers that have assets existing or want to build to participate in that, um, there'll, there'll actually be revenues associated with, with participation um, and following local dispatch signals and stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that is very cool. Uh, we will make sure to run that to ground and, and would love to, uh, yeah, I don't know who's at, the, who's at the center of that, but would love to get uh, them on the podcast as well to hear, maybe not now, but maybe as the thing develops. Um, to hear, because I'm sure a lot of lessons will come out of that, and uh, you know, could could be kind of the leading edge of the curve in terms of what we do next from a utility perspective. So, yeah, I think so. And yeah, send send me an email when we're done um, here, and I'll, I'll put you in touch with the folks who are who are running it on our side. Awesome, cool. Um, one kind of final question, Ben, unrelated to DERs, but you know, here we are, the third of April, when we're recording this, and. We're in the middle of this awful uh, COVID situation. What um, what are you guys seeing from an ISO perspective? Uh, you know, as it relates to you know how the demand is changing in the province. You know, we got kids kids at home. You probably heard them in the background here, even, and uh, we have less people working, unfortunately. And, and are you are you're seeing probably some big changes uh, from a high level on the demand side? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I would characterize them as 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 big, but like they're, well, maybe I would, they're, they're, they're not uh, inconsequential. Mm. Um, I think what we've, there's actually a great webpage on the ISO's website that speaks to all of this in more detail, but um, so people can look at, you know, changing demand profiles and sort of based on specific dates of, of when measures were taken to effect. And you can see the resulting shifts between a, a similar day that we would have experienced during this time frame and, and what we're actually seeing. Um, but I think we've seen in general, that uh, like peak demand um, has been dropping or demand in general uh, capacity demand has been dropping from around one to two gigawatts um, for all hours of the day. So that's roughly a five to 17% uh, reduction in the typical demand that you would see at this time of year. Um, and then energy consumption uh, down between seven and 9% for again, between similar days that we normally would see during this time of the year mm. um, and what and what we're actually seeing. And I'm not sure that the ISO has visibility on this, but some of the stuff that I've anecdotally heard is, is why you see that overall drop in both energy um, consumption and demand. Uh, you're also seeing a shift in what, uh, what loads are consuming. So you're seeing a, a reduction in commercial and industrial load. Um, and then you're seeing a corresponding increase in residential load. And I think that's, that's part of the reason anyway, why the, uh, the provincial government has taken the actions that they have in regards to time of use rates and making the, the off peak rate apply to all hours of the day for, for residential and small business customers. It's because, because they are being sequestered at home that they're, they're, they're using more electricity, even if on a provincial level, the overall demand has gone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, thanks. I know we're kind of putting you on the spot with that question, but uh, it, it's uh, it's timely. It's something that, uh, yeah, we're all living with every day. So, hey, Ben, thank you so much. This has been, uh, you're clearly kind of at the center of this DER um, 
I want to call it an initiative, but this DER <laughs> push. Um, and so, you, yeah, you're clearly a thought leader in this space, and and uh, can tell you're you're trying to uh, knock down as many barriers as you can to get as many of us into the party as you can. So that's uh, that's appreciated. So, but yeah, really appreciate. I know you're busy, especially in this time, and and grateful for your willingness to uh, to share what you're working on with us. We really appreciate it. No, it's not not a problem at all. And uh, I'll make the final plug that we're we're going to be releasing the draft white paper around the middle of this year. Uh, that might slow down a tad because of the the COVID nineteen restrictions and how what that's done for, to workflows, et cetera. But um, that'll be released in draft, and we'd love to get yours and any of your any of your listeners' opinions on you know whether the, whether the options we've come up with are are going to address the barriers and um, and of how much progress uh, if we were to go forward with any of those we would actually be making we'd, we'd love to hear people's feedback cool awesome well if you release it uh, sooner you might have a lot of people sitting around looking for something to read and comment on so uh, that's true but, yeah we will we'll look for that and uh, yeah thanks again ben um and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of energy radio um uh, thank you to uh, mark charbonneau behind the glass who makes us look and sound good and to our executive producer Uh, Lisa Barber, who puts this all together. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we encourage you to stay safe and stay healthy and look forward to talking next time.